Hi, I'm Francis Hellier, and welcome to my brand new podcast, Metaverse. This is a podcast for the future-minded, a series for anyone on the hunt for the next big thing and all its possibilities and implications. This is Tomorrow's World Today. With each episode, I will chat to those at the top of their fields, from futurists in crypto and space travel to forecasters in business and tech. Together, we will ask the question, what's next? Today, I'm joined by Mark Palatucci, Senior Foresight Associate at the Future Today Institute. Mark's research specializes in all things from new realities and the metaverse to digital fashion and the future of work and learning. He has served on the World Health Organization's Learning Strategy Advisory Group and is a senior deputy to the World Economic Forum's platform for shaping the future of media, entertainment, and culture. Mark co-leads the MBA course in Strategic Foresight at the New York University Stern School of Business and also serves as editor-at-large for Office Magazine. Mark, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Welcome to the Metaverse. Thank you so much for having me, Francis. Great to be here. A real pleasure. So let's start back to where it all began, Mark. Um, take us back to the beginning. What got you involved and interested in futurism in the first place? So I attended NYU Stern School of Business uh, here in New York, where I'm based uh, many years ago, and was first exposed to foresight as a practice and a discipline uh, through a course that I took there with uh, Amy Webb, who's actually the founder and, and CEO of the Future Today Institute. So once I took that course, uh, you know, foresight is sort of an underrepresented skill and field in uh, the business world, but a crucial one. And when I was at that in that course, I sort of took took to it as something different and new um, and, uh, you know, by definition, very forward looking, whereas sometimes the things you study in business school can be a little bit uh, old fashioned, let's say. Uh, so it really, really inspired me at that point. And I basically convinced Amy to let me work with her. And while I was in school, uh, began writing for the trend report. And um, upon graduating, I've just been working with her ever since and learning more about uh, about foresight and, and futurism as a field. Um, it's really a fascinating one. Now, looking at the research you've completed to date, it specializes in new realities, e-commerce, digital fashion, uh, the future of work, and, and, and so many more things. Um, mm -hmm. Why did you choose those particular fields? Well, it's interesting. I actually came from a, uh, a background that was a little bit more kind of fashion and creative arts oriented. Um, you mentioned a magazine that, uh, that I'm an editor at large for. That's a magazine I founded with some colleagues. Um, I had had previous experience with luxury fashion retail and was interested in where it was headed. Um, it's a very old fashioned industry, forgive the pun, but, um, but I think there's some really fascinating things on the, on the horizon for it. So that was one way that I, I kind of wanted to meld that experience uh, and insight with the practices of, of uh, foresight. And I also think that uh, new realities, I mean, around, as you know, it's the name of your, your podcast, uh, the metaverse is sort of a, a growing concern amongst folks who are just learning sort of what it is, what it isn't. And I, I sort of wanted to take that opportunity to try and parse it a little bit myself, hopefully help other folks understand it and, uh, and see where it might be headed, especially with regard to some of these uh, industries and business models. Really good answer. And I think if we're drawing attention to the, uh, the name of the podcast, obviously mm -hmm. Metaverse, what do you make of the way that technology is developing and creating these new realities that we're sort of defining as the Metaverse right now? Sure, I think it's interesting because very spirited debate, which I'm sure you've heard and, and probably been part of yourself around what the metaverse is, where where it is, where it exists, um, whether it's still taking shape or whether it's been here all along. 
um, by some people's estimations. And um, I think there is there is some insight to be had there because the technologies you mentioned, the technologies that drive the metaverse that underpin it, um, and that will be sort of the, the technological infrastructure for it moving forward, um, have been uh, under development for some of them for decades. Some of them are just emerging now. But what strikes me about the, the, the overall picture is that it is very much a, a constellation of technologies that are coming together and that are sort of beginning to merge in new ways, um, becoming more efficient, more affordable, and sort of more accepted and understood by the general public. As those things happen, that's when I feel that the, the, the metaverse as sort of a, a more understandable concept uh, that we can see uh, and actually experience in our everyday lives will really come together and, and uh, be formalized a little bit. What role do you think the tech in general will play in our future? And which tech do you think that we're looking at at the moment will have the most impact? I think it will play an enormous role in our future. I think, uh, you know, at FTI, we um, often tackle uh, new projects by coming at them um, through the lens of 11 macro sources of disruption. And those sources span everything from wealth distribution to infrastructure to demographics, uh, geopolitics, topics like that. The 11th source is technology and technology we treat differently than those others because it is so ingrained in every one of those other categories. So apart from it playing an enormous role in our future, I also think it, what's interesting is that it will, um, that the hardware and the devices are actually going to progressively recede a little bit more into the background, right? So um, one of the biggest technologies that we've been talking about for a few years now uh, here at FTI, um, and that has enormous implications for the metaverse is smart eyewear, smart glasses. Um, and that is this, it will mark this interesting shift basically from the, the hands-on experience of a smartphone, which all of us are so used to now. Um, I, I like to call it the transition from hands-on to heads-up, um, where we'll be able to actually witness and observe our surroundings while also taking in the information, the entertainment, the content that we already know and love uh, from the internet, but that will become more immersive uh, as it gets sort of overlaid uh, you know, over our field of vision. I think you know, one of the things that we've uh, sort of realized through this journey of, of, of the podcast and having such interesting guests on is when people are talking about the metaverse, they're not just talking about technology, they're primarily talking about creativity. Mm. And I think that's, that's definitely one of the most exciting areas um, is that there's a whole, whole raft and range of new entertainment product out there that we, don't even, we can't even imagine yet, uh, sure. which, which is really, really exciting. So um, talking about FTI, the, the Future Today Institute, can you talk a little bit more about that and, and your work that you, you do there? Absolutely. Um, so we are a, a global futures organization and we function similarly to a management consultancy in certain ways. It's usually the easiest analogy for folks to understand who aren't, aren't familiar with it, but essentially we consult with uh, everyone from you know, Fortune 500 companies to uh, government agencies, uh, nonprofit organizations. We also do some, uh, occasionally do some work with, with Hollywood uh, in creating the, you know, the future for uh, different TV and, and, and film projects. Um, but essentially what we're coming in is uh, coming in to do with these clients is to help them widen the aperture on, on what they're looking at in the future. Oftentimes internal strategy teams are looking at two to three year time horizons um, and uh, are commonly focused most on financial projections. That's, that's an area where companies feel, okay, we can actually uh, plot this out, make some hypotheses about what will happen with the numbers in the next few years. Um, we try and totally 
sort of blow that out and have them look um, more at uh, qualitative data as well um, that's available to us now, but push the time horizons out to 5, 10, 15 years in the future. So we can talk about the emergence of, let's say, a, a sort of a full-fledged metaverse and how that's going to affect a uh, you know, business model, because there is virtually no business that won't be affected by, by new realities and, and, and by the metaverse. And we also look at uh, you know, deep, deep dives into uh, a number of different emerging technologies that we feel are just ripe to disrupt really a, a majority of companies out there. And we have the pleasure of working with companies across a, a number of different categories. So from CPG to entertainment to insurance, there's really nothing we don't uh, feel that we can add value to because it's all of these other elements that we spend our time researching, discussing, and, and, and analyzing. Those are, those are the things that tie all of these different industries together. Um, so in addition to that work, the consulting work, we also release a trend report uh, once a year which is, you know, over 400 pages of all the emerging technologies that we spend our time discussing and researching here at the Institute. And that's, you know, freely available um, to everybody online. We also print a few copies as well. So that's another important component of our work. We'll add a link somewhere to, to that. Yes, one. that'd be I'm great. Sure, I'm sure listeners would. The new one will be out in, yeah, the new one will be out in March. So Only only 400 pages to get through. That's quite exactly, the weekend. That's quite exactly. the weekend read, isn't it? <laughs> well, and the problem with the Tech Trend Report is as soon as it drops, the next day a new technology will arise. But that's why we do it annually. And uh, hopefully we've caught the, the majority of, uh, of, of things of interest this year. And uh, yeah, I look forward to sharing that with you all. Great stuff. Now, let's talk through your work at the uh, World Economic Forum and specifically around shaping the future of media entertainment and culture can you talk us through you know what happened what's what's been happening there and 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 kind of where the where that project's going to go for sure. I think, um, you know, I'd love to speak to both the World Economic Forum work and, and also the World Health Organization work, um, because I think these are, you know, global institutions, essentially, that um, that are looking to employ some foresight, for sure, and, and see sort of, uh, you know, the writing on the wall, see where things are headed with regard to the future of, of you know, media, if we, if we put it broadly. And I think, you know, for the World Economic Forum, um, Amy, who I mentioned, uh, my boss and the founder of, of FTI, you know, she and I are, are serving essentially as uh, in an advisory role in that program. And while it's been, um, it was established even sort of pre-COVID, uh, let's say, um, but, but uh, the pandemic has obviously thrown things into a, a whole new whole new light when it comes to the future of media and, and our relationship to it. And I mean, I think we need to also even consider what we're doing right now, having a, a you know a video Zoom call as a piece of media and a, a new format of media that we're getting used to. So I think especially with uh, the World Economic Forum, one of their interests is around, you know, what, what will be, if any, some global standards um, that we can help to establish or uh, at least keep track of with regards to how the metaverse is being controlled um, and how media is being controlled in the future. And um, I think that the, you know, sort of uh, protection of uh, individual privacy um, is going to be a, a, a huge topic in that, that ongoing work. And again, coming up with sort of uh, legal and economic frameworks that um, can help kind of underpin and, and stabilize um, the metaverse and all these new forms of media. Because as you mentioned, the, these technologies that are uh, becoming more available to us now are just creating uh, whole new formats that we've never even sort of envisioned before. And with that comes a whole new set of sort of rules to the game um, that, that we need to establish. Uh, I, I also mentioned the, the World Health Organization. That was a little bit more of a, uh, of a focus project where um, they were 
were interested in uh, building a sort of a curriculum and learning plan for global health literacy. But again, sort of metaverse conversations came came into that uh, for sure, because we talk about how how people best uh, process information and whether that means maybe a synthetic media avatar that's been customized, uh, personalized to them that speaks their language or appears to speak their language um, and can speak with sort of some of the, the cultural nuances that may, you know, sort of may uh, strengthen their message with that particular person or that particular audience. So, you know, as you well know, Metaverse touches really everything these days. Um, and those have been a couple, you know, really interesting examples to take part in some global teams formulated from, from folks, uh, you know, uh, all throughout the world who have different perspectives on, on where this is headed and how it might affect their communities and, and their societies. Amazing stuff. Let's, let's go on a different tangent now. Uh, I'm a bit of a, a geek, as you can imagine, and a, sort of a sci-fi fan. Many films imagine what the future will look like, whether it's Space Odyssey, Back to the Future, Star Trek, etc. What do you think about the way that the future is presented in movies? And how do you think that's going to change Forward. So it's interesting. I think that there are sort of two general ways to go about creating a future for a piece of content or entertainment or to tell a story. And one, which, you know, we we are less experienced with and, and we spend less time on ourselves is the sort of pure blue sky speculation. We know, you know, sort of a few of the pieces of uh, technology that might be cool in the future, and we're going to kind of throw them in a pot, mix them up and see what happens. There's that, or there's, I came up with a story that I like, sort of a narrative for the future. Let's throw a bunch of technology on top of it and make it look very slick and cool. And then you end up with, you know, almost more satirical style films, like I think of Demolition Man, for example, which I think was uh, maybe a little bit more obscure of a movie, but I think was set in a year that's already passed. And if you look at some of the technology in the movie, and again, I think it was a bit tongue in cheek, but it's much more, let's have fun with this. This isn't really sort of based on data. Um, what we like to do when we work with uh, projects is, you know, ground those projects in the present day and then extrapolate based on the information that we have now to get us to a future that is plausible. We talk about a range of futures at FTI because we don't see it as a, a single monolithic concept, the future. Um, there's almost a misnomer in calling it the future. We see a, a number of possible futures and uh, those can range from the probable to the plausible to the possible. And the probable might be a little bit too obvious. So maybe your sci-fi movie won't be so fun if it's uh, you know just a, a, a clear and direct continuation of, uh, of what we've got happening today and the possible are going to be a bit more speculative, a little bit more maybe out there pushing people's imaginations a bit. Um, but the plausible is where you really find some stable ground where you can look at uh, how the technologies we've got today have logically affected society and transformed it. And then uh, that that helps for the viewer to then when when watching that film or that um, TV show or even reading that book to believe it, you know, that then they, they really can feel uh, that it is more tangible and more foreseeable. Um, and that can actually be quite powerful, even in a movie that's exploring something that's a bit, uh, you know, potentially far-fetched or, or, or out there. Um, anchoring it into today is, I think, one of the most critical things that a, a, a sci-fi creator can do. Um, looking forward, so for example, the next 10, 15, 20 years, mm -hmm. what are the technologies, apart from the things we've described already on this, on this podcast, what, what are the technologies you think that are really gonna come to the fore and fundamentally change 
what it is to experience entertainment or just just life in general? Like I mentioned, uh, you know, smart glasses, smart eyewear is going to be a huge one. And we've already seen a number of devices already uh, launched into market um, that are sort of beginning to approach what smart glasses can be. A lot of the smart glasses that are out there now um, really, maybe maybe they have a, a, a camera or a microphone and a speaker. Some use uh, bone conduction technology, which is quite cool, where you don't have to have an earpiece um, or earbud in your ear, but you can still receive audio quite discreetly uh, th through those smart glasses. But what they don't have is uh, smart lenses for the most part. And that's going to be the, the critical component for really creating a more uh, immersive audio visual experience. So I think smart lenses, once those start making it into these uh, new devices, smart eyewear devices, um, that's going to really be transformative for how we can experience media throughout the day. Um, I, I think of the early days of the internet when it was something that you logged on to and then logged off of. And over time, we've now arrived at uh, today where we're essentially always to some degree online whether it's receiving an email or having a piece of data, uh, you know, sort of captured from our lives and then shared to the cloud. And sometimes that's even out of our control. Um, so I think of the internet no longer as a, a binary. And I think the, the metaverse, as we describe it, is going to become a bit more uh, like that in the future so that it's something we sort of wade in and out of. Sometimes we are fully immersed in it. Sometimes it's more in the background, uh, but something that is uh, essentially ever present. When we talk about new realities, um, there's a subcategory of augmented reality that we call diminished reality, um, which is actually a really fascinating uh, sort of aspect of this, this the, the, the entire metaverse, because when we think of augmented reality, we think something added, something additive. Okay, we've got our um, you know, sort of field of vision, but maybe there's data being given to me about my surroundings, the buildings I'm looking at, the people I'm looking at, um, or I'm receiving uh, a Twitter feed or some sort of social media that's sort of scrolling across my field of vision. But with DR or diminished reality, um, it can actually minimize your surroundings in certain ways. So say I wanna take a walk through the city and not see any advertisements or not hear the other pedestrians on the street, or I wanna sit in a crowded restaurant and only really be able to see and hear uh, you know, whoever it is I'm, I'm, I'm dining with. Um, those are some interesting ways that diminished reality will, uh, will shape our future in a way that um, is not sort of more chaotic and more stimuli, um, but is actually reductive in a way. Um, and I think some folks who are worried about the future of the metaverse being so cluttered and constant uh, stimulus, um, that can give them a little bit of uh, maybe optimism about some of the other options. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that one of the, when I describe um, what my vision of the metaverse is to, to people, you know, the, the sort of one of the reactions is always, Oh, we're going to spend more time online, or we're going to spend more time playing games. We're going to spend, you know, uh, our children are going to be even more distracted than they are from Instagram and TikTok and everything else today. So, I suppose things like that are quite interesting as, as a counter argument to that uh, thing, and, and making sure that whatever whatever this whatever this path leads us to, um, it's, a, it's a better quality of life, I guess. Rather, we than certainly just, hope so. We certainly hope so. I, I think another, so. yeah, another um, technology that we mentioned in the report and that comes up a lot. Um, in conversations about the metaverse is, uh, is synthetic media. And so being able to create the likeness of a person, whether it is a, an existing living person, you know, you or I could be sort of duplicated and a, uh, a, an algorithmically generated virtual version of us could be, you know, speaking with our voices, our inflections, even some of our knowledge and experience might be able to come through. Um, that really uh, brings up a, a lot of interesting questions about 
the future of work, for example, the future of socialization. Um, when we talk about identity in the metaverse, uh, it becomes a much more fluid thing. Um, I like to bring up, there's a, a funny meme format you may have seen at some point, which is basically a grid of photos and it's usually of a celebrity and it's like, okay, here's their LinkedIn photo, here's their Facebook photo, here's Twitter, here's, and then it always ends with Tinder or a dating site and it's them in some, you know, sort of uh, more provocative clothing. Um, but I think there's actually some insight in that meme, which is that we've already begun to fragment our identities based on what corner of the internet we're presenting ourselves in, right? So if you want to be your professional self, you put that on LinkedIn, you put your CV and your, your credentials. If it's more of a uh, social site, maybe you're a little bit more expressive. Um, and when we think about the future of, uh, of our online profiles really becoming avatars, not just a, a, you know sort of a, a profile photo and a little blurb about ourselves, but actually um, dynamic, uh, animated, uh, sort of moving versions of ourselves, then we can think about how different avatars may occupy different spaces online and may actually be able to carry out anything from interviews to attending a, a, a virtual social event, um, maybe able to carry those things out uh, simultaneously. We, we could theoretically be in two places at once, let's put it that way. Um, and you take that down to the, you take that to sort of the, the more mass media and, and creative media side of things. And an actor who wants to appear in two films at once could license out their likeness uh, to be synthetically generated for a film. Uh, maybe they get paid a little less, but they don't have to do any work after their likeness has been captured and recreated. Um, and, and, and I think what's especially interesting, you bring up uh, creativity in the metaverse, we no longer have to adhere to the rules of physics um, so uh, or chronology. So I, if I wanted to cast somebody in a film I was, uh, you know, I was creating, I could cast a younger version of themselves um, and not have to use sort of CGI or makeup or prosthetics, but actually have a sort of a captured version that we could then synthetically generate. So it really sky's the limit in many ways when it comes to synthetic media and how it might be applied in the future. Really, really exciting stuff. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. So what does the future hold for you, Mark, personally and, and for the Future Today Institute? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that we do for, for Foresight, we work because we love Foresight. We love strategic foresight and futurism. And as I mentioned earlier, in a place like uh, a business school, it might be a little bit underrepresented. Um, there's not as much familiarity with it uh, as a field, but um, we are first and foremost, trying to help our clients, right? Um, and help them prepare for the uncertainties of the future. We like to say we don't, a lot of folks think of futurism, okay, is this crystal ball prognostication? Uh, we like to say we don't make predictions, um, we make connections. And so we are helping organizations prepare and try and mitigate future risks, but we're not telling anybody this is what will happen. We work with those bounds of you know, probability, plausibility, possibility. Um, and, and that's gonna be our, uh, you know, our primary role going forward, but there's a number of other projects that we uh, undertake to help uh, almost evangelize for futurism and, uh, and strategic foresight. We want folks to be doing this on their own. They can apply strategic foresight to their own lives when trying to uh, kind of envision what their next decade might look like. Um, but most certainly they can apply it to benefit the organizations they work in. The class that we teach at uh, NYU, um, so I now co-teach that class with Amy that I took those many years ago. And that's a fantastic way to really bring some new people into, into the fold, get them not only the knowledge of foresight, but give them actual experience. They work on projects throughout the semester um, where they're applying our methodology and applying our frameworks. And, uh, and that's what we really wanna see 
spread. Um, the frameworks that we've built, that, that Amy's built over the um, 15 years plus that she's worked with uh, with the Institute on the Institute, those are all open source. And so like the report, we like to um, sort of share those freely and uh, really just want to encourage folks to get in the practice of, um, of, of exercising strategic foresight. Frankly, we think that it can benefit the greater world uh, if governments take a, take a closer look at standing up foresight agencies um, or departments and uh, taking, look, taking a look past that, if not to be too US centric, but taking a look past the four year presidential term as the, you know, the opportunity to make change and actually looking five, 10, 15 years into the future. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Metaverse. I've really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for sharing all your, your thoughts on all these wonderful subjects. And uh, I wish you every continued success into the future. My pleasure, Francis. It's been great to be a guest on your show. Thank you for the thoughtful questions. So you've been listening to Metaverse with me, Francis Elliott. Thank you to my guest, Mark Palatucci, for a fantastic conversation. Tweet us at Metaverse Pod with any suggestions or feedback. And if you enjoyed the episode, please do share a link on social media. You can sign up to receive an email when a new episode drops at our website, metaverse.fm. Metaverse.